I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi everyone, uh, it's Alicia here, just jumping in at the beginning for a little explanation because this episode is a bit different to what uh, we normally do. We have some ideas for different structures for episodes and this is going to be one of our very first uh, Oops All Stories episodes, which pretty much means rather than our usual setup, we pretty much just have a bunch of short stories. This one in particular is going to be our two Junker stories that we haven't featured in previous episodes. We've mentioned before that when creating the world for Junker, we went through three different versions of the story we ended up putting out. Just because these two we felt didn't quite convey the theme of the world well enough uh, to be the introduction to that world. So, um, you'll get to listen to both of those stories today. We will have a section three, but unfortunately Alice was away during the recording of this, so it's just me uh, giving you a tip that I feel like is particularly helpful. So that's pretty much all I wanted to cover here at the beginning. We will go over in our next episode some of the other ideas for different structured episodes. I hope you enjoy these stories, and of course, as always, welcome to the Sky Machine! His head was in her hands, dead, cold, staring up at her, like he did sometimes in the morning, limbs in all directions, hanging out of his bunk, tongue lolling and eyes rolling. Hey, Sarah! She'd pop a pod in the processor and pull out a ball. Sarah! He'd flail until she looked at him and fall back again. Look, I'm dead! The processor would ding. You dumbass! She'd thwack him on the head with the daily bulletin and lay their breakfast out on the table. He'd half struggle to get up, fall, land on the floor, and scramble to get to his seat, hair a soft mess. She ran a hand through it, brushing it back from her brother's face. His skin had lost all dimension. He was just a drawing in her hands, like graphite she could erase. She felt herself copying him. She was cold, losing colour sinking into the floor. She couldn't breathe and didn't want to. She didn't feel the hands on her shoulders as much as she sensed them, hovering above her skin, afraid that she would break if they touched her. Have two teams of regulators take her breathers around to residents in the immediate surrounding area in case there's anything they could have been exposed to. And send three down for autopsies. Sarah flinched, clung tighter to Micah and screeched, DON'T TOUCH HIM! I'LL KILL YOU! She rocked him back and forth in her lap and muttered it over and over. I'LL KILL YOU! I'LL KILL- I'LL KILL YOU IF YOU TOUCH HIM! She felt Fletcher beside her right knee, 
ignoring them as she pressed her forehead into Micah's chest. Micah's going to stay with you, they said gently. No one's going to take him away. They were sat close by, but didn't make a move to touch her. But Sarah, at some point we're going to have to take you down to the med bay to get checked out, okay? I'm not leaving him, I'm staying here! Sarah, you rushed in here without the proper gear. You could have been exposed to whatever got them. She started to dig in her nails, hoping he'd stop pretending. I'm not leaving him, she hissed into his chest. Fletcher sighed. Yeah, okay. I'll get someone to come see you here. Sarah flicked her head down and to her right to look at Fletcher. He's careful. What makes you think it wasn't a gnat or a heretic? Fletcher's ears twitched and they leant forward to a whisper. Sarah, look at him. She did. He was dead. She frowned and started to turn back to Fletcher, with a slurry of foul words growing on her tongue. But Fletcher looked up at her with big yellow eyes, and she looked again. He was dead, and not much more than that. He was cold and grey. The scales on his jawline and chest had dulled, no longer the vibrant purple they had been two weeks ago. But other than that, she ran a hand over his eyes to close them. He looked like he was sleeping. No burns, no gashes, no bruises or scrapes, no holes or cuts or wounds to speak of. He was just dead. She couldn't do this. She scooted back and he slid to the ground. She stood, Fletcher's unblinking gaze following her, bare feet on the smooth metal. She felt cold and nothing at the same time. I'll go to my examination now. She turned and started to leave. Whoa, sweetheart. Fletcher scampered after her and put a covered paw on her calf. I'll take you. Genevieve unzipped the neck of her suit and pulled the hood up back over her head. You seem perfectly healthy to me. She smiled softly and offered Sarah a hand down from the bench. She flashed a weak smile in return and pushed out the door. Beyond, a pile of misfits had formed, none of whom were sitting correctly in their chairs, and had somehow made the musty med bay even dirtier. Her friends seemed half asleep, occasionally muttering half a sentence to each other, returning to tangible silence. Ramsay noticed her first and immediately stood to greet her, letting Socket, who'd been resting her head in his lap, flail and tumble to the ground. They all scrambled to their feet in turn and enveloped her. No words, no tears, just presence. They didn't let go for a good while, and when they did they looked from face to face, understanding exactly what they meant. Sarah, Scarf Monkey started, holding the fabric of her pants in her tiny hands. We're so, so sorry. Yeah. We all loved him, said Elliot, the soft pink fibres on the back of their head bobbing gently. I know. Do you remember anything? came Ramsay's muffled voice. Ramsay, you insufferable prick, said Socket. Why the fuck would you ask something like that? Uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking. Ramsay shook his head, expression unknowable behind his gas mask. You bet you weren't, you absolute dipshit. Socket looked at Sarah, eyes red-rimmed and searching her face. We're here for you, Sarah, whatever you need. Sarah nodded and smiled weakly. Thanks. She didn't sleep. 
She didn't try. Didn't close her eyes. She'd hear him talking and start screaming at him. Hey, Sarah! She turned to see an empty room. She started to howl and rip the stuffing from his pillow and sunk to the floor, cradling its tattered remains in her arms. Eventually, she just sat against the door of their apartment and didn't move for five hours. Her friends had tried to comfort her and she asked them each to leave. Worry etched into their faces, they did. She noticed that the regulator rotation had increased. They walked by her front door every ten minutes now. They'd knock occasionally. She'd stuff a feather from Micah's pillow out from under the door to tell them she was still there, and they'd keep walking. Sleeping hours came and she heard voices begin to build in song. She started to join in. It was habitual and familiar. The song was quiet. Word had spread. They must know how she felt, or at least, they were trying their very hardest to sympathise. Most people in Junga had family, but few were related by blood, like she and Micah were. She hadn't tried to remember yet. She didn't think she'd ever try. Seeing him dead was one thing. Seeing him die was another. But most people here had lost someone, so they sung with her. Not a sad song. She was grateful for that. She rested her head against the cold door, the song vibrating around the room, until the words began to taunt her. She screamed, and tears streamed, and she shouldered the door open and collapsed into the hallway, howling. She gripped her horns so tight she felt them throb and creak. A few doors swung open, but no one approached her. She wailed into her hands until a regulator advanced to her right, and she snapped her attention to them. She swayed to her feet and stumbled forward, grabbing onto the startled Nostron's forearm. I want to see Fletcher! The regulator nodded and began to lead her down the corridor. When they arrived, the regulator knocked, and upon seeing the blue light begin to blink above the door, opened it for Sarah to step inside. Fletcher had been sitting in an alcove on the opposite wall that looked out into the dark void of space, broken cruisers and battleships littering the view. Sarah caught the mid-stretch, front paws reaching wide and tail flicking upwards. When they saw Sarah, their big yellow eyes widened and they hopped down from their perch and up onto the oversized desk in the middle of the room. Sarah, what are you doing here, my dear? You need all the rest you can get. Sarah sat herself down in a patchworked armchair. I need to do something. Please, let me do something. She let her eyes and nose run. I'll investigate the ship. I'll work in the recycling docks. I'll, I'll even help with the autopsies. I just can't sit here anymore. Fletcher sat down on the edge of the desk, tail curled around their feet. Sarah, you need rest. I can get Genevieve to prescribe you some REM inducements. No, please. I don't want to know what I'll see if I close my eyes. She was clutching the tattered fabric of the chair. Let me do something. Fletcher sighed. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to, but we don't know what happened. Jenna's looked over the bodies and they just stopped. They're dead, but from what we can see, there's no cause. Everything in them just shut down. She tried to force images out of her mind, focus on the words and their meaning. We haven't seen anything like this before, which means it could be a threat. We need to know what happened. Fletcher seemed to drain of colour when they looked at her. She could already hear him egging her on. Chicken! He waggled a finger in her face and smirked. I'm not chicken, she started, hands on hips. I mean, if you say so, he sniffed. What's that smell? 
He began to bend his arms into mock wings. Man, I'm just so hungry. He started to flap his arms slowly. The smell of that deep fried. Stop. Honey soy. Stop it. Teriyaki. Micah. Chicken. She jumped at him and he darted away, flailing his arms and squawking out into the corridor. I'll do it. Sarah, I need you to really think about this first. It won't be easy. Fletcher's whiskers twitched. I'm not chicken. We all know how brave you are. I'll do it right now. Fletcher frowned. Sarah, you have nothing to prove. She closed her eyes and accessed the doorways in her mind. Memories and thoughts. Each one a different time and place. Not all of them hers. Now, let's start with something easy. Lift off. She walked through a door and saw the room through two sets of eyes. She hugged her brother, and she was her brother, hugging his sister. I'll miss you. No, you won't. Rat bag. Dust eater. Bring me back a souvenir. Or at least some tissues you brought. Get some rest. Love you. Love you too. He boarded the ship. She headed down to Medbay. Fast forward five days. He's landing now. Smooth. Well rehearsed. He's made trail mix. They climb off the ship and find themselves in a desert. Pretty standard. There's a bunker, not like ours, a real one, buried in the ground and everything. They go down. It's dark and cold. He shivers. She shivers. There's a pale, sickly, yellow light. Test tubes and syringes. Cages and tanks. That's the symphony's emblem. At least we're with friends down here. Empty. Just about. Abandoned. Bottles are broken, research is neglected. They gather up what resources are salvageable and pack it all back up onto the ship. Whatever it was, it didn't get them here. Fast forward a week. They should be arriving in a day now, and they're all... fine. Happy, laughing, fine. He's making a sandwich. We sauce the high-priced prick. He's flirting with Trestle. Jeez, he never learns, does he? Fast forward three hours. Fine. Five hours. Fine. Six. Eight. I don't... Locking trajectory now, sir. We should be docked within the next 20 minutes. Brilliant. Thanks, Marnie. Fantastic work, everyone. Very successful expedition, I'd say. I don't understand. I don't... Sarah, what's wrong? I don't understand. I don't understand. Sarah, your nose is bleeding. Open your eyes. Fletcher was in her lap now, pour on her cheek, pressing her eyes open. He's... They docked. Position locked. Doors open. The waiting crew were there. They looked... Horrified. I don't understand. He's in our apartment, searching the corridors. He's trying to find me. I don't... He's... Watching me hold his body. I... Hugging our friends. But he's... Someone get Genevieve down here now! Watching me tear apart his pillow. Sarah, I need you to lie down, sweetie. Watching me watching him. Sarah started to her feet and spun to look at the doorway. Empty. She wiped her nose and drew back a hand coated in blood and looked down to see it soaking into her shirt. I... I don't... I don't understand.
tightened her scarf, placed a foot in the indent in the wall, and began to climb. The rungs of her ladder were made of pipes and ladles, shower heads and lampshades, welded and tied to the metal wall up twenty feet above the mess hall. She reached the wall's summit and heaved her tiny body through the sheets that formed the walls of her room, what once was a balcony overlooking a former launch terminal. She walked to a nearby table, kicking pillows out of her way. She retrieved one of her many lanterns and shook it hard so it sprung to life and emitted a soft orange glow. One by one, the others followed suit and bathed her fort in light. Once her room was glowing, she sat in front of her window with Mr. Maple and showed him the constellations. Her window took up the entire wall and looked out into space. Mr. Maple put his nose to the glass and she did the same. Together they looked at the stars. Each one looked so, so far away from her, but close enough to each other that she could reach out and squish them together. She jabbed her finger against the window, pointing out at a cluster of seven stars, each a different colour. That one is called Brandosaurus, she told Mr. Maple. It was made to celebrate the day that dinosaurs were allowed to join the Onion and fight in the war against the ants. Mr. Maple nodded with silent interest, and she pushed a little stuffing back into one of his open seams. She rolled over, splayed out over many, many pillows, head resting against the cool glass looking up at the pitched ceiling of her room. When she had arrived, Fletcher had insisted she stay with the family, but after biting the fifth person who tried to tuck her into bed, they let her stay on her own. They didn't want to leave her by herself, but she was determined. She was the daughter of Lieutenant Mayer. She had independence in her blood. Junker was a nice home. She got to explore the station all day long, meet all the interesting people, sing along when the shipwide harmony started, and sit and watch the stars for as long as she wanted. Plus, the mess hall had rigged the processes up to make mac and cheese, which they served on Thursdays, and they always gave her an extra helping. She put Mr. Maple across her shoulders and crawled over to the door, placing her head on her hands, gazing down at the people below. The mess hall was massive, with control rooms peering down and one giant column in the middle. People had assembled mismatched tables and every kind of chair she could imagine. Plastic chairs, wheelie chairs, armchairs and sofas. Some people had removed control chairs from their ships and dragged them here. Part of the reason she picked the balcony to make her room was so when it was meal time she always got first pick at the chairs and was always first in line for food. Oh, A voice broke her from her thoughts and she spun around but only saw an empty room, soft lanterns flickering. Who's there? She shouted, pushing up against the railing, hugging Mr. Maple to her chest. My name's not Roland. She saw a shape move on the right of her vision, something wiggling beside a beaded pillow. As she let out a battle cry, she picked up her painted chair leg and smashed it down with a heavy thud. She flipped the pillow away to reveal empty ground. She breathed heavily and frowned. Monkey, are you okay? She heard a panicked voice coming from her ladder. Elliot poked their head in through the sheets, the pink threads around their head drifting softly with their movements. There's someone in my room, she said, holding up her makeshift bat, scanning the floor ready to strike again. Elliot crawled into her small space and stood, head lowered as to not hit the sheets that made up her roof. You were sure Mr. Maple wasn't playing hide and sink? They asked, looking around the room. I'm sure, 
He was so scared. Look! She held him up for Elliot to see. He's still shaking. Elliot nodded and put their hands to their hips. Well, let's have a look then. Elliot opened their black eyes wide and then shut a second set of eyelids, bright green and shimmery, which closed like a camera. They peered around the room. Looks awkward to me, Bean. The warmest thing in here are the lanterns and your silly noggin. They booped her on the nose. Nothing to fear, monkey. You're too brave anyway, daughter of Lieutenant Mayor. She huffed and put her hands to her hips. No! I know I hurt someone! Maybe it was your stomach telling you it's time for dessert. Her eyes went wide. Crumble! They said in unison, and she began to scramble down her ladder to the mismatched dining area Mr. Maple stuffed into her overalls. She sat upside down in the armchair, her legs hanging up over its back, head on the floor. She had already finished two bowls while everyone else was still on their first. Everyone said she only won because she was a Wotham and they have two stomachs, but she just reckoned they were sore losers. She closed her eyes, letting the blood run to her head. Don't ignore me, Roland. She sat up. That voice again. She rolled over in the chair, poised on her hands and knees, scanning the room. No one else reacted. They talked and laughed and ate their crumble. She stood up in the armchair and looked out toward the main door. Whoa, kiddo, what did we say about standing on chairs? Sarah called out across the table. Something wiggled by the door, something dark and silver. Her eyes went wide. It was the thing she'd seen in her room. She stood on tippy toes to angle herself for a better look. Then she felt someone pick her up from under the arms. Okie dokie, down we hop. Sarah lifted her off the chair and onto the ground, layered with dusty rugs. Hey, I was looking for a monster, she huffed. Sarah crossed her arms and smiled. Yes, Sarah, lighten up. Mike called out from the other side of the table. He was seated on a wheelie chair, legs wrapped around its spine, and was pushing himself away from her with a broom. Care for a battle, scarf monkey? He cooed. I'm afraid I'll have to beat you later, she smirked. I have some monster hunting to do. She nodded and marched out of the room. Suit yourself, Micah said and propelled himself forward, catching on a rug and falling on his face. She followed the voice out of the door and down a hallway. Find me, woman. She followed it. Occasionally the voice would disappear and she'd instead see something moving in the corner of her vision, and she'd follow that instead. Mr. Maple bobbed up and down, held against her chest, his eyes covered by her scarf. She passed doorways and windows looking into apartments. She passed one that held three hammocks, one on top of the other, packed with fairy lights. Another had multiple screens buzzing with a humming noise that made her sleepy. One had no door but an archway and was full of bowls and blankets, a free-for-all for any stray animals. The hallways were a twisted maze of mismatched metal sheets. They climbed over one another, twisted back and forth and ran in circles. She passed a large sign that had been scribbled out, rewritten, scribbled out again and now read Junker in big scrawled letters. Ramsey had told her the history of the ship. Years ago it had been a space station, but when people started to flee the war it started taking on refugees. They would dock their ships and never leave, till eventually their ships were built into the hull of the station. And it was massive now. 
It was a huge patchwork of mismatched rooms from all different parts of the universe. She heard the voice echo a little ways down a hall to her right, emanating from a vent just by her knees. With a great deal of effort, she heaved the grate from its place and crawled inside. She followed it, winding down and down into the heart of the station. She walked past the rooms and relics that were clinging to the outside until she got to the core of the ship, the original. It was cold and empty. Every surface was caked with dust, but it was clear to see that once upon a time, this was a magnificent ship. Every detail was smooth and seamless. No patchworked walls made from five different materials, like the junker she was used to. She wandered down a dark hallway, hugging Mr. Maple and telling him they'd be okay, till she came to a vast steel door, smooth and cold. There was a number cast into the wall beside it, 049, and she heard the voice behind it. About time, Roland, it whispered. My name isn't Roland, she crossed her arms, shivering in the shadow of the metal hull. What is it then? It cooed. Everyone calls me Scarf Monkey. She heard a gurgle that made her stomach drop. Pathetic. You disgrace your father's memory with a name like that. She tilted her head and raised an eyebrow. You're a fan of my father's? It chuckled. We were very close. Would you like to know more about him? She'd heard many stories. Her father was a war hero. No one here had actually met him, but they'd all heard tales. When she had arrived, everyone was shocked and excited. Someone related to Lieutenant Mayer? They were sure to be spectacular. She'd never met him, of course. He died in the war's later years. Uh, yes, please, she said. If you don't mind opening the door, I want to see your face, it said. She paused mid-step. He was my friend, after all. And you're his daughter. That's true, she thought. This must be exciting for it as well. That panel over there, it said, and she looked up to the screen beside the door, with a big handprint on it. I don't have hands, so I cannot open it. Well, it's your lucky day, she said and waddled over to it. I have two hands. She slapped her hand up against the panel and it flashed blue. A whoosh of air escaped the room, and a smell leaked from inside that reminded her of medicine and vinegar. It was dark inside, but not dark like space. The darkness writhed and smiled. It moved, not quite like the shape she'd been following. They were just ghosts of what she saw now. It pulled out of the room like living mercury. It oozed over itself and twisted out in tentacles of fluid metal. Before too long, she was pressed up against a wall and this beast, a writhing wad, towered above her and began to fill the corridor. It hummed. Not with the voice it had lured her with. It was innate, like breathing. It was deep and wet, and though quiet, it smothered all other sound around them. I will tell you something about your father. It said, with a smile she could hear rather than see. He was a traitor. He was ordered to guard me. And instead he set me free. And now you have followed in his footsteps. What? No! Do you remember it yet? When he set me free? It snarled. No! He was a hero! He helped to end the war! She yells at it. Exactly. Why do you think you lost? She held onto Mr. Maple, digging in her fingernails. That's not true! 
My father's a hero. He's no traitor. She looked up at the beast that towered over her, tumbling over itself like magma. She felt its toxic warmth on her skin and felt its eyeless gaze bore into her, and she started to remember. Ladies, gentlemen, and all other configurations of being, welcome to The Sky Machine, a collective world-building podcast about dynamic, fantastical, and concise storytelling. And as you can probably guess already by the fact that I haven't been interrupted yet, I am by myself for this last segment of the podcast. Unfortunately, Alice is a little indisposed this week as they've gone up to their hometown to visit their family for the beginning of the new year, so I'm all by myself. So, things are going to work just... I suppose a little bit differently this time. I am going to be going through a tip, but probably in a bit more detail than what we usually do. And I'm just going to jump right into it. So, um, a few episodes we spoke about when making a world, you really want to focus on the things that you're passionate about. Because having your passion come through in your work is what's going to make it the most entertaining. People are going to feed off the passion that you're putting into it, and it's just going to make it so much better. But I know that's a bit easier said than done, because I certainly know with some of my first worlds, they were really bad, (laughs) just because I really didn't know what I was doing. So I'm going to try and give you a few tips on finding what you're passionate about and how to convert that into your world building. So I think the key here is figuring out what you enjoy doing in your spare time anyway. And it can literally be anything and I think you can turn it into a good property in your world. For example, I love cosplay and I love fashion stuff. Doesn't mean I have good fashion sense but I enjoy it all the same. I love making outfits and designing costumes and making them. So in the world I'm designing at the moment, I really want to have a good close look at the kind of clothing they wear. I think it'll be interesting to explore the kind of resources they have to make these clothes and how the clothing differs from town to town and what that means. That's personally something I find really interesting, how the different clothes that people wear represent the kind of communities that they're from, what they mean for relationships um, and relations between people and different towns. That's something I'm interested in and hopefully my players will then find it interesting because of the the passion and the interest that I have for it. You could perhaps be interested in sports. So you might want to explore the kind of sports that people play in the worlds that you're building or that could even extend to military stuff because the kind of coordination that goes into sports and the rallying of teams, they could have some crossover there and that could be something that's interesting for you. If you're a history buff, making lore that's very interesting to you could be good. But you don't need even these uh, wide-spanning interests. Uh, for example, I watch a lot of YouTube in my spare time. I, wonderful, I, I watch a lot of Let's Players because I, I love watching people play video games. And narrowing down what you like about those things, even if they seem completely unrelated to world building, will help you in 
uh, your inspiration for the world you're creating. For example, uh, the, ma the main thing I like about watching Let's Plays is often the lore behind the games. Like, I love Five Nights at Freddy's and I love Frambo and I love Life is Strange and lots of these really story-based games and I like finding out the mysteries that are held within those games. So putting lots of mysteries in the lore and lots of puzzles and lots of uh, lore-based puzzles into my worlds is something that'll interest me. But if if you like watching video games for the, the fighting in it, for uh, online MMOs, you might like combat in games and trying to find ways to make combat really dynamic. That might lead you to creating really dynamic environments that will lead to really, really epic battles of of running battles on steep cliff sides and figuring how the, how the dynamics of those are going to work. Another thing that is really big for me when I run my D&D games is making sure that my setup at the table is really immersive. For each different setting that I run, I have a different table setup. For my Curse of Strahd game, I use lots of blacks and reds. I have fake roses on the table and I have uh, incense going and I have dark red candles and... I have, I, I lay out um, Taroka cards on the table and I have like crystal balls sitting around to set the theme and I always love setting up tea for people. One big thing I do is I run a snack challenge uh, in one of my games where each week I give my players a word or a topic related to what we'll be doing in the session and everyone comes up with a uh, snack or a food based around that word. Um, and sometimes, not always, I like to create a meal that isn't necessarily just a pun like they usually are, but that's actually something uh, set in that world. For example, my characters are currently going into the equivalent of winter in our world, and it is a horrific time. It is absolutely brutal, and it's known to uh, cause hundreds and hundreds of deaths because of how cold it is. And so one thing that is really cherished among the people is this uh, spiked drink that everyone has. Um, so I made that for my players, uh, one episode where this was uh, particularly prominent in conversation. In real life, it's a drink called uh, Wazale, which is a common Wiccan or pagan drink um, that's usually made around Yule, the winter solstice. And I think that's just a fun little immersion thing. That's something I find really interesting. I think being able to experience that kind of food and that aspect of culture that um, the characters in my games would experience is a really fun way to immerse my players. Uh, for example, I made a soup the other day that I really liked and I thought, wow, this feels exactly like the kind of food that players, that, that characters would eat in this new world I'm developing. The point I'm trying to get to here is that write down, pretty much just write down a list of the things that you're passionate about, and it can be anything, and figure out how that can fit into a world, because anything you are passionate about, passionate about is a part of this world, and so it can be translated into the world that you are creating. I'm literally going to look up a list of different hobbies now, random ones, because I know sometimes listening to mine alone isn't enough of um, an example or uh, isn't uh, thorough enough for people to understand. So I'm going to find a list of hobbies and tell you how they can be translated into world building. Okay, straight up. Things like puzzles, uh, games, card games, stuff like that is a huge thing. Games are a huge part of culture. Not only would you be able to create a game that you're 
uh, that people would play in your world. Um, side note, there is a great video by World Building, which is now in the Discord, about a world uh, that they created for, uh, which is, I'm sorry, which is about a game that they created for their world, and it is awesome. I've actually had a quick go at making um, a version of this game myself, and it's pretty fun. But that's a, that's a, uh, a great way to bring that hobby into your world, and even you can uh, use it in abstract ways. If you like puzzles and stuff like that, you can translate that into making really interesting and dynamic dungeons with lots of puzzles and riddles. You can try and even take a game that you like and translate it into a puzzle for your for people to move through in your world. If you're interested in things like cars or planes and trains, maybe you could uh, do a world that's a little bit more futuristic and have a look at the kind of transportation systems that they use. Um, what ways you think that those parts of technology are going to evolve in the future and how transportation is going to look uh, tens or even hundreds of years, thousands of years in the future. If you're interested in animals or plant life, looking at how they would fit into your world. You can even look at the environment and how that would affect the kind of plant and animal life that grows on your world. Different um, environmental systems and food chains, how they all link together and how having a dominant species like uh, humanoids, any kinds of humanoids, how that's going to affect the food chain. If you like things like art and craft, not only can that be establishing the kind of art um, and the art world that exists in the world that you're making, but it can uh, encourage you to um, make your own art or do craft for the world, uh, making beautiful maps or making letters between different people, making documents that will be found there, making pe maybe you can create stories around famous art pieces and the history behind them. At the crux of all of this, what I'm trying to say is that world building isn't an isolated passion. It, I think what's so exciting about it is that it can be united with so many other things that you find so interesting. And it's a wonderful way of sharing your passions with other people, whether you're, you're making a book and then you can go on to design beautiful maps to go in those books or illustrations to go in them, whether you're making a world for Dungeons of Dragons and creating amazing puzzles or handmade letters or awesome combat environments for people to explore. Whether you're making the world for the fun of it, because some worlds are just made for you to build and to be explored. There are so many different ways you can integrate things you're passionate about into them and it just makes them so, so much more realistic and alive and interesting. If something doesn't interest you in world building, you don't need to make it. Worlds always look best when you highlight your favourite parts of them. For example, in a new world I'm making, they don't have a monetary system. I don't find that very interesting. I always found the quest of hunting for more money, the bard's ever-ending quest for, for more gold coins to just be a little bit tiresome, personally. So I've instead decided to replace it with a system of skill-based trade where everyone has to know a certain number of skills and that's how everyone gets by in society. I hope this has been somewhat helpful for you. I know sometimes our brief little tips mightn't quite get into enough depth to cover what we mean. 
So if you have any questions about anything I've said in this last section, please do feel free to ask them on the Discord. Uh, if you haven't checked out the Discord yet, uh, there is always a link in the description of every podcast episode to our Discord where we put up all resources we ever mention in the show and where you can chat with other listeners and you can chat with us about anything we've talked about. You can ask for advice or for help in any of the world building you're doing. Um, and overall, it's just a nice little environment. But I think that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you all have a wonderful morning, evening, and or afternoon. Thank you, ladies, gentlemen, and all the other configurations of being, and I will see you next time. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.